You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Episode 17 of the Announcer Schedule Podcast. We are rolling. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Phil DeMont Mullen is back at Announcer Skids. Follow him on Twitter. We got a busy week ahead. NFL week number four. We got all the names, the faces who will be calling the games. College football week number five. Here we go. Major League Baseball down the stretch they come. I'm no Larry Colmus, who's been on the pod. This week, Mike Cousins is here, a young up-and-comer, another Syracuse guy. Phil, how's your week? How you doing, man? Doing great, doing great. Um, yeah, looking forward to, to more action. We're in the heart of football season, no doubt. And Mike Cousins, I'm really interested to, to hear his story. He's been elevated to this new role with ESPN Radio, getting a lot of big assignments lately, and can't wait to, to get to know Mike further. Yeah, Mike's got a very interesting story. Another Syracuse guy, young guy, though, and uh, we'll talk about his journey. And, uh, you know, he has an interesting story. Uh, University of Vermont women's basketball, Dayton Dragons, not exactly, you know, the glamorous of glamour road. And uh, how did he get to ESPN? Well, stick around. We'll ask him and find out. How do you go from Syracuse to Vermont to Dayton to calling major college football and baseball for ESPN? Mike Cousins coming up here on the pod this week, but... We started the NFL as always, Phil, and we had fantastic finishes in week number three. Got to give the shout outs to some of these guys. Uh, Kevin Harlan, Trent Green on that Miami Buffalo game was one of the best. Yeah, Miami Buffalo, you know, obviously had a, a rooting interest in that one, being a, you know, lifelong Dolphins fan. And, you know, you know it was interesting. The kind of the, the word down in, in Miami was, all of Buffalo seemed to make the trip down there to the <laughs> to the sunshine and kind of took over the place, Bill's Mafia. So a lot of them were angry at the end. And 
Kevin Harlan and Trent Green uh, got the call. And there was all sorts of crazy moments in this game. Uh, and then the finish with uh, Miami taking the win. And no one better than Kevin Harlan for a game like this. Allen, up, grabbed, gets away. Oh, my goodness, how did he escape? It goes off to McKenzie. He'll drive and dance. The clock continues to tick. He picks it. up 11. The clock is at five. The clock is at three. Uh, that's Miami Buffalo CBS. Kevin Harlan on the call there. And I can't help but, Phil, picturing the man is on the court as he was kind of pacing himself through the last minutes of that game. I love Harlan. He's one of my favorites. But hearing the way he described that last uh, frantic action made me think of the time when the, the, the fan ran onto the field. Yeah, and, and keeping an eye on the clock at the same time and that, that moment as the clock expires. Now, what wasn't on that clip was the very next shot that uh, CBS went with, which was a view to the Buffalo Bills coaching booth. And Ken Dorsey, um, another guy who I'm really familiar with from his Miami Hurricanes day, he's the offense coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And he went absolutely ballistic in the booth. Um, I don't know if you caught that. It ended up going viral oh, yeah. as well. And, I mean, just a wild um, reaction from Dorsey as far as how angry he was. And, I mean, I know Dorsey personally. I remember him from his his, his days at Miami. I, I got to um, have coffee with him once in later years before he became um, an NFL coach. And he's a pretty calm, mild-mannered guy, but not in that moment. And what a job by the CBS production crew to, to tee that up. And for, you know, Kevin Harlan to take note of that as well. Um, it's actually hard to find like a, a real uh, quality clip of that because I don't know if it sort of got censored a little bit by the NFL or by the partners or so forth. CBS actually put it up, I think, at one point and then removed the tweet. Um, but there was a lot of like people just kind of screenshotting their um, uh, TVs at home and that kind of thing. So nonetheless, it still got out there. But I know, you know, the NFL has been talking about, you know, like, destroying equipment and all these things and how, you know, they, they want to see less of that uh, sort of uh, reaction, but wow, what a moment with Dorsey. Um, and then just what a, what a moment altogether, all sorts of crazy plays, including the uh, butt punt <laughs> that Harlan caught as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's Miami Buffalo. Let's start with that Thursday night. We record generally on Wednesdays. We drop on Thursday. So tonight, if you're listening, you'll get Miami again. They'll play the defending AFC champion Bengals, who finally won Michaels, Herbstreet, Hartung on the Amazon call. It's Ian Eagle and Tony Baselli on radio. That kicks off week number four, uh, which has some pretty interesting matchups. Yeah, big big matchup on Thursday night, you know, Dolphins at, at Bengals, as you mentioned, and uh, looking forward to, you know, the Amazon Prime uh, broadcast team again. You know, they I think they've been superb so far. We've got that London matchup, first one of the year, so breakfast with the NFL, 9.30, and one of our former guests is on the call, Kevin Kugler. We'll get it for CBS with Mark Sanchez, Laura Oakman, Stacey Dales, and on the radio side, uh, Westwood One, Bill Rosinski, and Derek Rackley will call that game. That's the early morning London game to start things off, and then let's take a look at the Sunday slate. 
Yeah, so the, the London game starts things off 9.30 a.m. So you can have breakfast with the, the NFL. And then, you know, of course, all sorts of matchups. Uh, a lot of the country will receive Commanders and Cowboys. That's the 1 o'clock game, that traditional rivalry. Uh, that's the Burkhart uh, Olsen team with Fox. Uh, Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston, um, that crew will be in New York for the Bears and Giants. Um, Adam Amin is doing the titans colts uh game with mark schlereth um other notable games um all over on cbs bills ravens with the iron eagle charles davis team uh greg gumbel will handle jets steelers um our former guest andrew catalan will be on the chargers and texans game on cbs and uh the eagles spiro deeds um on that one again it seems like you've been getting spiro quite a bit along with uh, Jay Feely for Jags and Eagles. Uh, Four o'clock Cardinals, Panthers, Kenny Albert, um, along with Jonathan Vilma, will be in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And then also Pats, Packers, uh, majority of the country uh, will get that with Nance and Romo. But then uh, also a big game opposite that at 425 out west, Broncos, Raiders, Kevin Harlan uh, and Trent Green will be in Las Vegas Chiefs Bucks is the Sunday night game. Well, let me go through the radio. So, by the way, this is Deet's first game this year. Adam Amin has had both uh, two Eagles games this year. This is the first Eagles game on CBS. They've been on Fox. Adam Amin and Schlereth did the last two Eagles games there. Ah, good call. Yep, that's correct. Uh, Kevin Ray, Danny White on Compass Media. That's the national Cowboys broadcast. We should talk about that sometime because they have a local broadcast. They also have a national broadcast that you can pick up. In our market, we can pick up Cowboys games whenever we want through Compass Radio, and it's a different broadcast from their home announcing team. So uh, Kevin Ray is the national Cowboys call, and former quarterback Danny White, uh, the local team, uh, Babe Loffenberg is the color analyst, and uh, Brad Sham does the play-by-play. I've had Brad, Brad on the show, but that is the local Cowboys team. This is a national Cowboys broadcast on Compass Media uh, Mike Cousins is going to call the NFL this week. He's got Kirk Morrison on that Titans-Colts game. That is the early ESPN radio game. So Mike Cousins doing NFL this week. We're going to talk to him coming up on the pod in just a little while here. Josh Appel, Brandon Noble, Sports USA. I've had Noble on the show. He's a really good listen, smart guy, played for Washington. They're doing the Buffalo-Baltimore game. ESPN radio, Steve Levy, former Monday nighter. He's got the radio call for the ESPN radio call of Cardinals and Panthers. Sports USA has Larry Kahn and Mark Carrier. Remember Mark Carrier, Tampa Bay, man. They're doing Denver and the Raiders, Sports USA. uh, Excuse me, Patriots, Packers, Sports USA. That's the game I'm carrying in my market. Somebody asked us a question about picking games a couple weeks ago. And at 425, Denver Raiders is Chris Carino and my buddy Brian Baldinger. Love Baldy's breakdowns on Twitter. And then the Sunday night game, it's uh, Ryan Radke and Mike Golick on Westwood 1. The Monday nighter, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner. They've turned into a really good listen. That's a good partnership. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we've been mentioning it, um, you know, every show, how great of a listen so many of these national radio broadcasts are. So I encourage you to check those out. Hey, wanted to circle back to that London game, if we could, Mike, because we actually got another – a listener question uh, sort of related to this. Um, our buddy Ben down in St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh, uh, uh, we're thinking about people down in that area, Ben. 
Yeah, no doubt. So uh, hopefully everybody is geared up and safe and has made the precautions while we're taping this. You know, it's kind of barreling down on on the the west coast of Florida. And, you know, worth noting that that might impact some of the the weekend action as well. I'm still not sure at this point of the week exactly what's going on everywhere. But, you know, games are being moved to different locations and that kind of thing. But Ben had an interesting question with regard to um, international games. And Ben asked the following, with more and more international games being added to the NFL schedule, how are the announcers picked for these games? Do the announcers want these games or is it a punishment, (laughs) which is kind of funny. If they do get these games, do they get the next weekend off or are they right back at it? Does the host country broadcast have its own announcers? For example, the Bucks play in Germany later this year. Will the local broadcast have German announcers? So some great questions there related to the the international side of things. Uh, Mike, you got any thoughts on that before I kind of take it on? Yeah, well, I don't have definitive answers on some of these. Uh, How are the announcers picked? I imagine uh, they take a look at the level of game and slot it in. If it's the A game, I imagine they would send their A announcers. If it's the... Uh, you know, second or third choice, they probably would send the second or third. I think it's based on the game. Does the announcer want to go to the games or as a punishment? I would imagine so. I'd love to go to London to call the game. I think it would be a great experience. Um, generally, that game is not a high-profile game, so I don't think we've seen the Buck Aikmans, the Nance Romos there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember them doing a 9.30 morning game. They're generally, you know, games that are a little bit lower down the latter, so I think these announcers probably love the experience. Um, I don't think they get the weekend off. I think they're right back at it the following week. I would imagine the host country might have something over there, but that I definitively do not know. You might have more insight on that. Yeah, you know, it, it is an interesting question. I would imagine, and maybe, you know, John Lewis has got some some numbers to support this, that, you know, since it is a standalone game, you know, on Sunday morning, it, it might get a little more, um, you know, consideration or treatment than just a, an average matchup. So maybe, you know, add a little plus to your theory um, when it comes to just, you know, looking at the quality of game. You know, I would think most of them consider it a cool experience, a reward of some types. You know, sometimes you're able to take your family along to these kind of things and uh, they'll get to experience some of the, um, you know, treats of being out of the country and, and at locations like London or Germany. My only real direct experience in this area, I once got assigned by ESPN to do stats for the Bahamas Bowl um, down in in, in uh, Nassau, Bahamas, and home base was the Atlantis um, Resort down there, and then we played at the, the stadium in Nassau. And... Um, at the time, the play-by-play announcer was Steve Levy. Uh, Mark May and Mac Brown were the analysts. And actually, Kaylee Hartung, you know, as I'm reflecting back, was the reporter back then. And it was an interesting assignment to my knowledge. It was Levy's first uh, play-by-play assignment in college football. Uh, and they kind of matched me up just because I was living down in Miami, and I think they just played the geography a little and, and realized um, that maybe I could make it down there. And it was interesting, you know, to me, it seemed like, a, a, you know, a, a reward 
you know, you, you know, during your downtime, you had, you were at a resort, you know, in the Bahamas in December, you know, with the beautiful sunshine and the beaches and all these things. And, you know, I think the same thing would apply if, if you're going to London or so forth, as long as your schedule isn't so tight that you've got other assignments either before or after the show that you've got to, you know, absolutely uh, book in and book out. Um, if you're able to turn it into a, a couple of days in one of these locations, it can be definitely a reward, a bit of a, a vacation of such. I'm not exactly sure about the host country broadcasts. Um, I'd imagine a number of them do, uh, you know, um, you know, it's probably, um, you know, obviously there's, there's rights involved and that kind of thing, but I would think that would be sort of encouraged, um, you know, because the idea is to grow the sport in these other countries and ultimately, you know, make the NFL or whatever the sport might be more international and so forth. Um, and then, yeah, no, no, no time off. In fact, I think, especially if you've got other responsibilities, whether it might be baseball or something else, um, you might be hustling back right after the game and having to deal with some serious uh, jet lag and that kind of thing to get ready for your next assignment. All right, uh, we'll leave that because you mentioned the Bahamas ball. Let's get into the college football. And uh, Gus Johnson was back, that Maryland-Michigan game, back and forth. They went a lot of points in that one. Fun game, but good to have Gus Johnson back. Yeah, great to have uh, Gus back. So, so you know, hey, once again, Joel Klatt did a great job that game that, that Gus had to miss the, the second half. But great to hear him back on the call. And uh, they got a dandy, you know, that Maryland-Michigan game. And, you know, kind of once again goes to our theme. If you're lucky enough to have one of these great games, you know, what a blessing, and uh, certainly Maryland-Michigan uh, lived up to its its billing on Fox. We had a bunch of uh, exciting games near upsets in week number four. Uh, we had that uh, Clemson-Wake Forest with the overtime was at 51-45. Kansas State-Oklahoma, Texas-Texas Tech, the USC-Oregon State, if it made it up late, Florida-Tennessee in the middle of the day, Miami-Middle-Tennessee, what a game. And then we had this call, Joe Tessitor, Texas A&M. Arkansas. KJ's going to run it again. Diving, fumbles the ball. Fumbles the ball, and Chappelle's got it. Tyreek Chappelle in the right spot as he hands it off to Richardson. Here he goes. Wow, can you believe this? What a turn. Touchdown in the most unexpected way possible. Uh, Joe Tessitore, definitely, Phil, much better suited for the college game in a call like that. And once again, and yeah, this has been an ongoing theme throughout his career as a college announcer. He seems to get these wild games and these wild plays and so forth, and, and uh, he knows how to deliver on those. That Texas A&M-Arkansas game was was happening in Arlington, Texas at the, you know, the Cowboy Stadium. I just want to give a shout out to some of those announcers who did get fortunate enough to have some of those wild finishes, those wild games. Clemson Wake Forest, that was the McDonough Blackledge team. Texas, Texas Tech, you know, that included, you know, a, you know, a, just an absolutely wild finish as well. And, you know, the, the field being rushed by the Texas Tech fans and so forth in Lubbock. Dave Fleming and Rod Gilmore on that. And our buddy TJ Reeves, was on the call and in Lubbock, Texas for that one on Compass Media, along with Tiki Barber on the radio side. Uh, Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman had the fortune of that Oregon-Washington State game. That was pretty wild. Florida-Tennessee, which was the big CBS game 
uh, this was a big deal, um, you know, in SEC country and the game delivered as well. Uh, Tennessee seems to be, you know, um, the best they've been in years. Uh, that was the Nestler and Danielson team. And want to give a mention, Jenny Dell, the sideline reporter who got the big promotion to this number one SEC CBS team. Um, I thought she did a great job. She interviewed Josh Heupel, the head coach of Tennessee, after the game. And it was a really uh, effective interview that you you got the feel of just – you know, how big of a win this was for the program, how big of a win it was for him as a head coach and just that environment um, in Knoxville. And then just a couple others, Minnesota, Michigan State, um, you, you know, you had to have BTN, the Big Ten Network for that one, Brandon Gauden, and then a game that probably flew under the radar for a lot of the country because a lot of people do not receive this network at home, but the Pac-12 network had that USC Oregon state game uh, late Saturday night, Ted Robinson on play by play Yogi Roth, uh, the analyst. So there was a lot of great action as always on a college football Saturday, but worth noting, you know, as an ongoing theme on our podcast, you know, that the announcers that get these great games, that's, that's what people are tuning in to, you know, come the, the fourth quarter and, and, and down the stretch here. And then they get to make the, the big calls as well. Well, uh, we had a college basketball game, Duke and Kansas at Fog Allen Field. Oh, my bad. This was a football game. Duke and Kansas. Uh, this one went under the radar, but Kansas-Duke entertaining. And Kansas with a ups- uh, not an upset win, but uh, a win upsetting the pollsters who didn't put them in the top 25. Eric Collins, just give him a shout. Crescent, both with his arm and his legs. Here's a blitz. They beat it. Highshaw. Oh, they trumped him. What a wonderful play call. Highshaw spinning. Look at Highshaw go. What kind of speed do you got, young man? Get there. He does. What a play by Daniel Highshaw. Seventy-three big ones. What timing. We just talked about him being no slouch and being good for this offense. Attack the blitz. You learned that day one of camp. Attack the blitz. And when you attack the blitz, good things can happen. But the rest of this is all high shot. Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm making my way to the end zone. What a run to take the lead. And that was uh, former Michigan quarterback Devin Gardner with the uh, analyst there. Eric Collins, the play-by-play. Devin Gardner, the analyst there on FS1. Yeah, and uh, yours truly on stats on that one. I, I got to work that game with Eric and Devin on Saturday, and it, it did fly under the radar a little bit, but both these teams were 3-0 and heading yeah. into the game, Mike. Well, let me ask and- you this question. You, you just mentioned stats, and I heard Eric give the 73-yard touchdown run. Is that something where you step in and flash the number 73 so that he knows the yardage? Because I know doing play-by-play myself, doing that math really quickly sometimes, not remembering where the ball may have started, when you get a long run like that, trying to quickly put it all together. Is that something, Phil, that you, the stat man, hands Eric Collins the play-by-play so he knows the yardage on that touchdown run? Yeah, exactly. In fact, I I do that for every single play, regardless of the yardage, even – even ones that are, you know, short because I'm I'm doing my best to, you know, really watch where the officials marking the ball and uh, give you the the most accurate number possible. And in the tool that we use is actually a uh, sheet of paper, yeah, uh, landscape um, style in terms of the how it's printed out. 
and base and with the numbers one through 99 on this sheet of paper. And so that way, instead of having to write down the number every time, I just point to this uh, sheet of paper, whatever that number might be, you know, 99 yards, 43 yards, whatever it might be. And uh, the play-by-play announcer then, you know, is it doesn't have to compute the yardage. Yeah, in I, I, I got to be honest, you know, that's something I'm not a mathematician over here. So when I'm doing games and I see a long run and if it's not like, hey, the ball is at the 35 and he scores and it's a 35-yard touchdown run, you know, you're, you're quickly like, wait, where did that start? How long was the run? Yada, yada, yada. To have someone like you there, Eric Collins threw it in there, 73. And, you know, that was a pass play. He's bouncing off guys. He was almost tackled. He spins out of the tackle. Uh, so good description, good energy, obviously. And then I thought Gardner added some good color in there on the replay to really kind of impact how good of a run it was and how they attacked the blitz there. Good job. Devin Gardner, haven't heard a lot of him on uh, color commentary, but FS1 had that one there. We got week five. Yeah, Mike, just, just one more thing to add to that. You know, like if you really want to go deep behind the curtain and um, while you're watching a game, and you know, I hope I'm not telling any trade secrets here for, for us uh, statisticians, but the time that it's probably most glaring that, boy, the statistician had to do the math on this one is after a punt. Because the punt would be the hardest thing to quickly figure out off the, you know, the, and so basically the talent statistician is, at least for me, like I'm already sort of computing, okay, if he, if the returner catches it at the 20 yard line, that's a 45 yard punt. If he catches it at the 10 yard line, that's a 55 yard punt. And so I very quickly try to compute it and then provide that to the play by play announcer, both the distance of the punt and the return. And so when you're watching a game and you hear that announcer just rattle off, you know, Punt of 44 yards, return to 12, 100%. That's the statistician. I need that guy. I need that guy when I'm doing games. And another one is the field goal distance. I mean, as many times as you call a field goal, you are constantly looking up and down like, where's the ball? What's the yardage? How many yards is it? I mean, you could call field goals every single week, and you're still kind of unsure of, wait, how long of a field goal is this? It would be so great to have that guy, of course, um, you know, sometimes uh, we're not at the level to get that guy afforded to us, but Phil's one of the best in, in, in terms of spotters. I well, mean, uh, and, statisticians. And just back in even further, deeper behind the curtain here, uh, there's also a job called official stats. And so for TV, um, for network TV um, productions, you know, we are on headset with a statistician who's in the press box with the official stats crew which is provided by the host school. And this person is providing information too. So basically what I'm trying to do is match up with him and make sure we're on the same page. So if they're lining up for a field goal, you know, I might see it as 38 yards, but the ball might be marked right between um, the two yard markers. And I'll talk to the official statistician um, just to make sure that we're on the exact same page. And then, you know, we'll be able to definitively say, hey, that's a 38-yarder, and everyone's on the same page, including the graphics side of things. You want to make sure that they're clued in as well, so we're in communication with them also. But back to that Duke-Kansas game, Mike, I mean, this thing, I mean, talking about flying under the radar, you mentioned, you know, it being two basketball schools, the broadcast played off that a lot. And this guy, Jalen Daniels, I was just looking up, you know, the ESPN.com has the top five candidates for the Heisman Trophy. He's number two right now. Probably oh, as a WVU probably, grad, I got stuck watching him. So, uh, so with, you know about him. Yes, with guy, good reason. Kansas quarterback. Radar, 
Yeah, he is something. And so, like, it was another, you know, really big performance by him. You know, Kansas now 4-0 to start the season. What? They yeah, should Kansas- be ranked. They should be ranked. Uh, it's a it's a crime uh, that they're not ranked. But these rankings we know are a sham anyway. I mean, for Kansas not to be ranked, and some of these rankings that are out there, it's a sham. But have fun watching Kansas because – they're not often good, and when Kansas is good, I guess that's fun for college football uh, to see new blood in the top 25 rankings. They'll get there if they win this week. Um, all right, uh, Mike Cousins, by the way, is coming up here on the pod, uh, the ESPN radio play-by-play announcer. He'll join us. Uh, he's got a football game, NFL this week, college football. You hear him. You hear him on Major League Baseball. You'll hear about his journey coming up very shortly here on the announcer schedule podcast. Let's rip through the week five, Phil, give the TV. I'll handle the radio guys and we'll see what we have in week five, what we're looking forward to. Yeah, we've got some action on Thursday um, on the SEC network, Dave Neal and Aaron Murray, you know, who's been getting more and more uh, reps on ESPN. He was with CBS, formerly South Carolina state at South Carolina, seven o'clock SEC network. There's also a BYU game on ESPN. Utah State, BYU, the Matt Berry crew on Thursday night. Um, A bunch of games on Thursday as well, um, including Roy Philpott's crew being out out west, Washington at UCLA. That's at 10.30 p.m. um, following the Tulane-Houston game at 7. And then come Saturday, game day is in Clemson, South Carolina for the NC State-Clemson game. And actually, that's the uh, primetime game with Fowler and Herb Street. So, you know, we, we've been talking about Herb Street's travel quite a bit. You know, Amazon Prime on Thursdays, game day at a certain location, and then head into a different game on Saturday night. Well, at least this time he gets to just chill out in, in Clemson, South Carolina until game time on Saturday night. Big noon kickoffs in Iowa City for Michigan, Iowa. A bunch of games, as always, you know, in that 12 o'clock window, including Gus Johnson's crew for that Michigan-Iowa game. Oklahoma TCU with uh, Mark Jones and RG3. The big CBS game uh, at 3.30 is Alabama-Arkansas, the Nestler-Danielson-Dell team. Oklahoma State-Baylor is the big Fox 3.30 p.m. game with Jason Benetti and Brock Heward. Uh, we mentioned NC State-Clemson at 7.30. That's on ABC. LSU-Auburn's the Joe Tessitore game at 7 p.m. on ESPN. West Virginia-Texas uh, on FS1 at 7.30 with Tim Brando. And uh, yeah, once again, if you're up late, um, I, I really like the West Coast games uh, late night. <laughs> we talked about that a little bit with Barry Tompkins on the, the college basketball side, but 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, Arizona State USC with Dave Fleming's crew, and then Stanford, Oregon, and 11 p.m. Eastern time starts. So you know this thing's going to go late on the, the East Coast. Uh, Alex Faust on the uh, FS1 play-by-play. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. All right. Uh, and on radio, uh, Compass Media, Greg Daniels, Steve Berline. That one is the new Michigan-Iowa game. We're carrying that in our Atlantic City market if you're a Atlantic City listener. Uh, 3.30, we'll also carry this one in Atlantic City. It's Alabama, Arkansas. That's Mark Kessicher, who's been on our podcast. Go back and through the archives on the Sports Media Watch feed, and you can listen to our interview with Mark Kessicher, Kelly Stouffer, uh, Stauffer, the former Seattle uh, Seahawks quarterback, and Fitzsimmons. I like Ann's reporting on the sideline there. Mike Watts and Ryan Harris are the Westwood 1 Oklahoma State Baylor game. Touchdown Radio. I like these guys. Gino Toretta is on our station every Thursday night. He's really knowledgeable. He, he really gives good insight on the radio, and he's a good analyst. Uh, J.P. Shadrick and Gino Toretta, that's Touchdown Radio, um, kind of an up-and-coming broadcast network. They do one college football game generally a week. Uh, I don't know if they're in your market, but check it out. Call your radio station and find out. National Sports Network. John Lasser, who I believe was the Virginia Tech play-by-player, and Luther Matty, we're actually carrying that game. It's NC State and Clemson, so that's a good one. Uh, National Sports Network, another new uh, radio college football carrier. Uh, so that one is uh, another one. If uh, See if it's in your market. We're carrying it in Atlantic City. Uh, Learfield, who I guess Learfield has a lot of individual college rights, but they also now have a national game this year. It's Sloan Martin and Mike Golick Jr. They call the national game every week. That's Georgia, Missouri. ESPN Radio, if you're in your car late, late at night, on the East Coast anyway, that's your buddy George Sedano and Tom Ramsey calling that game for ESPN Radio, Arizona State, USC. So a lot of radio options for college football. If you're driving around in your car morning, uh, really noon. Well, if you're on the West Coast, it would be morning. But from noon till 2 a.m., you can get a college football game wherever you are in your market. So there you go. There's the radio calls. Yeah, lots of options, you know, whether you're driving around with your windows down, as they say, or uh, settled in on your couch for a college football Saturday. Okay, MLB. We got the Judge Watch happening. Um, Apple TV, Fox, down the stretch they come. Amazon Prime, Yes Network, Judge uh, Cuttins. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Phil. I'm not a big fan of the Judge Cuttins in my games. I don't need the Aaron Judge Cuttin in the middle of my college football Saturday. The Phillies were on Fox on Friday night. Fox cut in. In the middle of a key moment in the Phillies game, they cut in and put judges at bat. I don't need it. Um, what's your thoughts on that? He's going for the record here. I didn't catch any of the cut-ins live, but I saw some of the response on social media. My question is this. You know, when the cut-ins come in, what happens? Is it a, is it a split Total screen? takeover. There... Total takeover. They Some instances split screen, I guess. 
Total takeover. Phillies game off the screen. Yankee game on the screen with play-by-play as if you are watching the Yankees game. Wow. Well, that that is pretty extreme. (laughs) Speaking of Adam Amin, and Adam Amin was calling the Phillies game on that Friday night when they cut in uh, to the uh, judge at bat there. So this has been uh, talked about a lot. College football Saturday. They're cutting in with judge at bats. Uh, I'm out on the college football. Is it a total takeover? That's got to be a split Split screen, screen, split screen, but announcer sound on judge at bat audio on the judge at bat. Yes. Interesting. Wow. So uh, we will play. Some of the audio from the Major League Baseball weekend after we talked with Mike Cousins, who we're looking forward to. He's backstage waiting there, and we'll get him into the conversation on the announcer schedule podcast here. Rate, review, subscribe. We come to you every Thursday on the Sports Media Watch feed. We've had some great conversations in the past. Last week, if you missed, Andrew Catalan was our guest. Kevin Kugler, who's calling the London game this week. Mark Kesheser, who we just gave you his assignment uh, this week on ESPN Radio. He's doing the Alabama-Arkansas game. And Mike Cousins joins us now. Another Syracuse guy in the house here on the announcer schedule podcast. Uh, and Mike is doing an NFL game this week. He is uh, on the ESPN Radio call Titans and the Colts. Mike Cousins, welcome to the announcer schedule podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. I'm coming to you from uh, Milwaukee today and uh, late addition to my schedule as well this week. I'll be doing Cardinals Brewers tonight. Oh, okay. I'm actually programming that game right now on the radio. So Mike will be on the Atlantic City Airwaves. You would already have uh, called that game because this will drop on Thursday. That game was Wednesday in the Philly market. Everyone's cheering for the Cardinals, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Uh, it's a fascinating wild card finish, and uh, you know, five divisions locked up. One more still to go with the NL East, which, as we talked today, is a uh, is a dead tie. So that's exactly what you hope for at the end of any game is a close game, and at the end of any season is some drama right down to the wire. Now, Mike, before we kind of get into your you know background and how you got here, uh, tell us about that. You know, Wednesday night, I get the schedule. I didn't know this was on the schedule till last minute. Here, I got an email from Jeff Martindale. Hey, Wednesday night. How do you get that call? How does that all kind of happen for you? Uh, that call came in uh, Monday morning, and uh, it was originally going to be Sean Kelly calling the game, our colleague on ESPN Radio. Um, but Sean, now that he's moved down to Florida as the voice of the Gators, unfortunately, uh, with Hurricane Ian coming through there, people have to pick up and, and get on the move. So, uh, you know, it's certainly for the best that Sean and his family go to try and find safe ground. And so, uh, for me, it was a, a 48 hour scramble to put together all my notes, but uh, it's this is the sport that I've called the most in my life. So even on short notice, getting to pick up a baseball game is always a fun thing. Mike, uh, you mentioned the sport you've called the most. Let's start there. Uh, last week, by the way, uh, Andrew Catalan, a, uh, a Syracuse Hall of Famer now, the Newhouse School. So kind of take us through your journey uh, on where you started, how you got interested uh, in doing this, and how baseball became the uh, sport you've called the most. So it goes back to something that I was really mad at my mom about for a long time, and that was the fact that growing up in White Plains, New York, we were the only household among my friend group that did not have cable television. So my outlet to get a fix for sports was to listen to WFAN a lot and usually round the clock as long as I wasn't in school. So 
Uh, it's safe to say that I was not up on the world events that were being discussed on the I Miss in the Morning program on WFAN back in the 90s. But throughout the day, Mike and the Mad Dog and Steve Summers at night and the rest of the shows really captivated my interest because in a, a pre-internet time, that was the only way you could keep up with sports as well as that. You know, I remember as a kid calling, and I don't remember the number, but there was a number you could call that would give you the scores of NFL games as they were going on and, and really be hooked into it that way. So um, with the baseball season lasting as long as it does, I spent a lot of time listening to Bob Murphy and Gary Cohen calling Mets games on WFAN and later Howie Rose as well, who's still there. Um, and, and that's a treat for all baseball fans who listen to the game on the radio. And so my aspiration was, you know, how do I get to be where those guys are? And in the late 90s, early 2000s, I would say the path wasn't as clear cut in terms of we just didn't have as much dissemination of information to understand how major league announcers got to where they were. But the thing that I did know was a friend of my mom's who was a couple of years older than me, he was at WAER, one of the student radio stations at Syracuse. And so uh, I went up to go visit and on a football weekend and just see what the production was like up there. And ultimately I, I applied their early decision. So it's not something that I would recommend to any other student to only apply to literally one college, but that's what I did. And so when I got there, um, I was actually a basketball manager first. I did that for my freshman year because uh, Tim O'Toole, who's an assistant coach at Pittsburgh now, used to be an assistant for Jim Beheim back in the 90s. He's from my same hometown, so it was a connection there to get in the door. I realized that wasn't really how I wanted to spend my time because my career path wasn't trending toward coaching. And so I really threw myself into WAER, which is the really uh, well-known student station at Syracuse, and then WJPZ, which is known as Z89. And I would say probably for... <laughs> Every hour that I spent in the classroom at, at the Newhouse School, I spent 10 at one of the radio stations. And uh, while I was there in school, since we don't have a baseball team at Syracuse, I spent two summers in the Cape Cod Baseball League, a third in, um, as a, an intern for what was then the Syracuse Chiefs. They're now the Syracuse Mets. And so that was how I got started in baseball. And then my first job out of school was also in minor league baseball. By the way, the sports phone, 976-1313. There you go, Mike. <laughs> That's right. Sports phone. Mike, thanks for joining the show. Really appreciate you on here. And, you know, you mentioned these baseball experiences, and we've heard it from some of the other announcers as well. I know you, you also worked with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, uh, an affiliate of the Padres. I lived a couple years of my childhood in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, actually, and uh, it's a wonderful community up there. But, you know, love to for you to expound on just how meaningful those minor league experiences are for announcers like yourself, where, you know, you're able to, to really hone your craft, but also, you know, there's a lot thrown on your plate because you're oftentimes also the, the public relations or media relations person for the baseball organization. Can you reflect more on the minor league experience? Sure. So my path there was the, the first year in, in Syracuse, which I was way out over my skis as a 20, 20 year old turning 21 in AAA. Uh, and that was a, an amazing year to get an experience that I didn't realize how outstanding it was at the time as Steven Strasburg ascended through the minors and he made five starts with the team in Syracuse. And we had national media members coming in from all over the place. Then after college, my first minor league baseball job was in Dayton, Ohio with the red single a team. And it was in that season that the franchise set the record for the longest sellout streak in all of professional sports. So I was in part of another big event. And then uh, from there, I was the Vermont women's basketball announcer for a season. And then I went to Fort Wayne. So that 2012, uh, three jobs out of school was my, my first full-time job. And so my job was to be the public relations person for the team. 
in the off season, I was very fortunate that it was a full-time year-round position. So I went out and I did a speakers bureau and any Kiwanis, Rotary, Lions, PTA group that would have me out to talk about the team and the history of baseball in Fort Wayne, which is very rich, as a matter of fact, I would go and do that. And um, I would say that doing games on your own makes everything else seem easier because let's say there's an injury timeout or there's a crazy fan on the field or you know I think last week in, in an NFL game they had a timeout for NFL security to clear the field I think it wasn't Seattle because there was a drone overhead where it could be easy to panic in those types of situations but when you have to fill hours on end by yourself every night and then you have a partner as you get up to higher levels I think those challenges seem much less daunting and you also gain a respect and an appreciation for when you're part of a broadcast crew, whether it's I'm doing MLB on ESPN radio, it'll be an analyst, a producer, an engineer, a relatively small crew, or on a TV crew where it's in excess of 30 to 40 people, and you only see the two or three people who are on the air. When you've done a lot of the behind the scenes positions, you understand all of the work that goes into it and having to do your game notes every day, which if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know what game notes are. But if you don't, it's all the media information that provides the interesting tidbits for the broadcasters and print and, and TV media members. And so you understand what goes into all of that. And as a, you know, relatively speaking, a one man band, when then your job is to later only do the games, it almost seems easy in retrospect, having done all of that stuff. So I think it's immensely helpful and it teaches you a way of going about, you know, now when I do my research, how do I want to find those nuggets? Because it used to be my responsibility to do those things. And also now, you know, in this Brewers game, it's fun to look back at the connections because there are three players just from my couple of years in Fort Wayne alone, Hunter Renfro, Jace Peterson, and Trevor Gott, just on Milwaukee, who were there when I was there to see guys when they were just out of college who are now on, you know, contracts where they're making tens of millions of dollars. And to see that progress is, is really cool. And Mike, tell us about kind of the next step, which was a big one, you know, going to the network level and getting the call from from ESPN and so forth. How does one go from working in minor league baseball to now being a national announcer? Uh, a lot of luck along the way. And I think that's true for just about everybody, because it's a business where the uh, supply of broadcasters who want to do the job is uh, is well in excess of how many jobs there are. And so when I was in Fort Wayne, I was very fortunate to have uh, the general manager there, Mike Nutter, um, who allowed me to go and do freelance opportunities with what was then, you know, a very smaller version of ESPN3. So being in, in Northeast Indiana, I was within proximity to Notre Dame and Purdue. I would drive up to Wisconsin. I could go down to Indiana University. And I got to the point where I had exhausted my vacation days but they allowed me to take unpaid days away from the team during the baseball offseason. And at some points, because I started out doing high school basketball as well in the 2013 uh, summer, that I would miss games. And so they could have easily said, no, you work for us. You're our full-time employee. You have to be here because that's what you signed up to do. And they understood, though, that you know, as a, as a broadcaster in minor league baseball, for me or for anybody else, all of our aspirations is not to be at a ball for forever, same as the players and to allow me to go and do those things. So I went from freelance high school and college basketball to then coming on full-time in 2014 and picking up college football and college baseball, and then a few years later, college wrestling. And now I'm six years into doing the NCAA championships for college wrestling and uh, college softball, which has become easily one of my favorite sports. And then along the way, got uh, added as a complimentary player, I guess you could say, um, 
a member of the chorus, to use a theatrical term for the uh, MLB on ESPN radio schedule, because I had a background calling a lot of baseball on the radio. And when Sean Kelly decided to go become the voice of the Florida Gators this summer, uh, I got called in July asking if I wanted to primarily transition my schedule over to the radio side. And when I understood that, it came with the opportunity to call the NBA, to call the NFL, to do college football every week, sometimes do a double header if the need arises, and to get to do still MLB and then some TV stuff as well. It was a no-brainer because the level of games here is the type of stuff that uh, you know you only dream about when you start getting into the business. And so already in the first couple of weeks of the season for college football, I've gotten to call a crazy finish between LSU and Florida State. Last week, Arkansas and Texas A&M had the field goal go off the top of the uprights. And uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be where I am. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you did the Arkansas-Texas A&M game Saturday. You get the call Monday morning to do a baseball game on Wednesday night. And then you're going to do an NFL game this weekend. I'm sure it sounds like a crazy week. You've probably had crazier. But just the transition of doing a college game, a baseball game, uh, an NFL game, it seems that it's all come kind of quickly and just kind of the preparation to get ready for three totally different types of games in the course of a week. Fortunately, I'm somebody who has always really liked to work ahead and I'm, I'm habitually early for things. My freshman year basketball coach in high school made us be 30 minutes early to everything. And so that has stuck with me because the penalty then was running sprints up and down the floor. I know I'm not doing that now, but it's still ingrained in my head that I want to be early for everything. So usually by the time I get to the Friday of a college football week, I have wrapped up what my charts are going to look like for that game. And then on the plane to wherever I'm going, I start working on my charts for the next week. So last week when I was flying to Dallas, I was building the base of my charts for the Colts and for the Titans. And so then Monday, I sat down before I got the phone call to do this baseball game and started putting in all the stats from the previous week for those two teams. And they had some pretty exciting games. And so then MLB, it's just, you know, that's a scramble because I've got 48 hours basically to, you know, book a ticket and get on a plane and, and call the game. And so, um, from, you know, my prep is probably different than some other people's, but basically what I do is I just have a big Word document for each team and I keep them open on my laptop side by side during the game. And I go through and, you know, I'll, I'll check off bios for the manager, the hitting coach, the pitching coach, all the players, and then um, go through the team's game notes. And last night I got to my hotel in time to watch the Brewers and Cardinals as well. So that was good just to be able to pick up things off of that TV broadcast and then go through all of the research notes because you've got the wild card races today. So the primary focus of this game really is can the Brewers get a win and they'll be in good shape today because I would imagine the Cardinals will rest a lot of their starters having clinched a spot in the playoffs, but they also need some help too because they're one and a half games on the outside looking in. So for me, it's really just like I'm going to find every available piece of information that I can and try and synthesize what's most important. And fortunately, you've got a great analyst no matter what sport you're working on. I'm with Greg Olson, who is a longtime major leaguer. He's done analysis with the Orioles for a number of years as well. And so you just try and learn as much as you can as quickly as you can. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, one of the things when you got to ESPN Radio, if you are you know, in a market like mine, Atlantic City, you uh, have heard Mike do a variety of games. And, you know, NBA, NFL, college football, major league baseball, um, to have that versatility, where did you kind of – get that versatility what you know a lot of us get that one opportunity it's like oh I get to do baseball how do you did you start to branch off to to get that versatility it came from an eagerness to 
probably the greatest piece of advice that I give to anybody who's younger, whether it's high school or college or even just out of school, is to say yes to whatever you can. So when I was in school, this it's amazing to think that my last year in college was 2010. And at that point, we were doing single camera broadcasts with no graphics for Olympic sports, where now I look at just the, I don't know about every school, but Syracuse, they have drone footage for the intro to their rowing broadcasts online. So it's amazing just how far things have come. You know, we didn't even go on camera then because we didn't have the ability to do it. But I did soccer and I did volleyball. And that led me to opportunity. But when I was still freelancing at the Big Ten Network to get my foot in the door and to be able to do, uh, you know, lead myself to do college basketball with them. Wrestling was one of the scariest things I've ever done because I got a call in 2017 asking if I knew anything about wrestling. And the answer was no. I knew something about professional wrestling, but certainly not folk style at the collegiate level. And so throwing myself into that was an, an immense research project. But I think when you take on a new sport, you know, um, softball was the same way in 2019. I got a call a day and a half before my first game. And I was going to be working with Michelle Smith, who's won two Olympic gold medals, and Amanda Scarborough, who's a two-time All-American. And then me, like, who doesn't belong in that booth? There's very one clear answer. Um, and I think it's, it's a process of going in with confidence that, you know, calling softball is very similar to baseball. So I knew more or less how things worked, but also a humility to understand what you don't know and don't try and act like you know the things that you don't know, because the people watching those sports are going to know immediately that you're a fraud and that you're trying to be something that you're not. And so taking things to the, the limits of what you can while you're enhancing the broadcast, but also stepping aside when you're not entirely sure about something. This is the first time we've mentioned NCAA wrestling on this podcast. I'd love to hear from you, Mike, as far as the mechanics of a wrestling broadcast from a TV production standpoint and also from your standpoint as the play-by-play -play announcer, you know, what does that look like? You know, I know there's a lot going on at, at any given venue during a wrestling uh, match and, you know, certainly all that energy in the building, you know, when the championship's at stake. So for a regular season duel, just two teams facing each other where you've got 10 weight classes, it's, it's almost like soccer in a way which sounds weird, but a soccer broadcast or even a soccer match in person is relatively uncomplicated. There's no music playing during it. There's not a lot of advertising. It's just the match. And wrestling, you really don't have a lot of time where, let's say, in football or basketball with timeouts and stoppages to get in graphics or to work in a lot of other storylines. Because when the whistle blows in a wrestling match, let's say the two wrestlers have gone out of bounds, they're right back to the middle and they're getting after it. Only The only time that you have for pauses is in the time between each of the three periods. So you've got three minutes, two minutes, two minutes, and maybe 15 to 20 seconds to squeeze something in between there, whether it's a replay, whether it's a graphic. So there's not a lot of time. And I like to give a lot of leeway, especially in wrestling to my analysts, because you never know when a big moment is about to happen. Whereas if it's fourth and goal, okay, we know this is going to be a big play here, but you never know when there might be a takedown or a guy gets taken to his back in, in the blink of an eye. And all of a sudden the match might be over because he just got pinned. So I, I leave them a lot more space and, and I jump in to really fill the bigger moments and make sure that everybody knows what's going on and update the team score as well as the individual score within that. Now on the NCAA championship side, it's a much bigger production. We have in the last couple of years, not only added some new analysts, we added Daniel Cormier, who was a great wrestler at Oklahoma state and now is one of the primary voices of UFC, but we've also added uh, an off the mat show on ESPN plus that's covering all the mats 
at once. Whereas on TV, we can only show, you know, two or three at a time at most without it becoming too confusing. So it's a much bigger production and there's 300, it is by far the most mentally taxing, I think, event to prepare for because there are 330 wrestlers, 33 at all 10 weight classes. So my prep for that starts in December and it runs all the way up until the day of the event in March. Um, And it's usually for me a Word document that stretches in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 pages. And I I control F my way through it as we go about uh, throughout the course of the weekend because when we're there with our coverage, especially Thursday, the first day of the weekend, you could be jumping from weight class to weight class, mat to mat, and all I have is maybe two or three seconds notice in my ear that we're making that switch. Um, so for me, it's a matter of trying to make sure that I'm taking in everything the analysts are saying and following up on anything they're saying while also making sure to introduce whomever has shown up on mat two on the right side of our screen and try and give a synopsis of their season story. Because if it's a wrestler from a, a, a non-dominant school, say if you're outside the Big Ten or the Big 12, you're from Campbell. That might be the only time that you're on broadcast or network television the entire year. And I want to make sure to give that wrestler his due. Uh, Mike, by the way, I miss you on ultimate Frisbee. Can you uh, ask for that assignment again? Is that, is that coming back for you? That was another one where uh, I got thrown into it. I want to say the summer of 2013 also knew nothing about it. Uh, And by a very big break, I was paired with uh, a guy who is now the voice of ultimate Evan Lepler, (laughs) who also does broadcasts for the regional sports network on, uh, on AB on ACC uh, basketball and football. So Evan was also at the time, a minor league baseball play-by-play guy. He was with the Salem Red Sox. And so he was able to help me fill in the gaps on a sport that I was entirely clueless about. And he probably should have been the play-by-play guy the entire time. (laughs) Well, I know that uh, where you've been, you know, I got a call, you know, hey, do you want to call MMA? And I'm like, I I don't know much about MMA. Well, we're going to pair you with CM Punk. He'll do the analyst. You'll do the play-by-play. And I'm like, "Uh, okay, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in. Uh, But, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. If somebody asks, you just say yes and figure it out on the fly, man. Mike, uh, Syracuse, we've talked to so many guys you're a rather young graduate there. Are there other guys that you were in class with or at the radio station with that you formed that bond and, you know, really challenged each other? You guys mentioned Fort Wayne. There was a guy who did television in Fort Wayne. His name was Tommy Shegler, and he was the TV host, uh, the sports guy on the Fort Wayne, and he and I were at West Virginia together, and we always just challenged each other to make the station. You know, when you're at those stations, you feel such pride in, in being better than the commercial station. Did you have that kind of uh, bondage with guys in your, you know, and are there guys that are still doing the craft uh, that you went to school with at Syracuse? Yes. So just at ESPN alone, there are two other guys. I'm technically the class of 2010 because I graduated a semester early. We all came in in the class of 2011. So it's just easier to say it that way. Uh, Number one is Kevin Brown who is one of the broadcasters for the Baltimore Orioles. He was our sports director at WAER in our senior year. And Kevin does many sports for ESPN as well. And then Alex Perlman, who was one of the uh, groomsmen in my wedding. And he does college basketball, soccer, softball for ESPN also. So we all graduated together. We lived either in the same house or next door to each other. And I think what you're talking about with Tommy, Mike, is accurate. And Tommy was always great in his coverage of the the baseball team in Fort Wayne. He actually hosted a weekly show that we put together with his station as well. Um, but yeah, Which it, I've appeared on a few times. <laughs> or did. I don't, he doesn't do it anymore, but. 
he's he's out of the media business per se yes. uh, at least as far as being on tv on a daily basis i think what when people ask what makes syracuse different the the best answer that i can give is not necessarily what's in the school curriculum because when i was there and this has changed because they have bolstered their sports curriculum as well because the curriculum there is more about teaching you to be um a reporter and how do you address going about reporting news stories. That was the basis of my education there. But at our two student radio stations, yes, not only was there a thought that on the, you know, at Z89, uh, which is the um, more of a music station that also does sports. I was the general manager there my sophomore year into my junior year. And my thought was, I always want to be better than all the commercial music stations because I don't need to be adhering to any playlist that comes from iHeart corporate in New York or whatever, we can make our own playlist and figure out, hey, when we like these songs that come in, let's play them and not wait for seeing what everybody else wants to do. And then on the play-by-play side at both student radio stations, one of the best things that we did was we met in the basement of our station every Sunday night and we critiqued the broadcasts from that given week. So whether it was just one football game, one basketball game, or in the crossover season, sometimes two or three games in the course of a week, Everybody from the top of the staff to the bottom of the staff, the folks who weren't yet cleared to be on the air, had an assignment of you're going to listen to play-by-play or you're going to see how this broadcast was produced or how it was engineered. And you're going to critique those things. We all did feature stories, so those got critiqued as well. And it was a time in our lives where the penalty for failure is minimal and the competition is only for the next broadcast. It's not for your livelihood. And so it was a friendly and robust competition because we had class together, we hung out at the station together, we lived together. And so it was all about, we wanted to get better ourselves, but in the process, we helped each other get better. And I think that type of atmosphere is what makes Syracuse so different from other places. All right, uh, we'll leave you with this, Mike. Where's your home base? Where, where Where do you live generally? So for the last five years, it was Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, as of December of 21, my wife and I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina. All right. Uh, Can you tell our podcast listeners about uh, how you proposed to your wife? Is that one of your more (laughs) memorable on-air experiences? It was uh, was almost thwarted by Mother Nature, believe it or not. In January in Syracuse, who could have foreseen a snowstorm coming? So – uh, the, the, the gist of the story is I proposed to my wife after a basketball game at the carrier dome, but the journey for both of us to get there was not very easy. This was January 6th of 2018. And so I was flying from Cleveland. I flew down through Washington Dulles, and then I was flying up to Syracuse. So I get on my flight. We're on the runway, a perfectly sunny January day in Virginia. And the pilot goes, well, there's bad news. Uh, there's a huge snowstorm in Syracuse. Our flight has been canceled. So I scramble and I find myself a 10.30 p.m. flight out of Reagan Airport in D.C. up to Rochester, New York, which is about 90 minutes west of Syracuse. So I fly up there. I get in about 1 a.m. the day of the game. My wife had to work on Friday, so she was supposed to fly out Friday night. Her flight gets canceled. So I said, you know, and I couldn't be too eager about this, too, because obviously I had the ring with me, but I couldn't blow the surprise. And so I said, you know what, if you can't make it, you can't make it. But, uh, you know, let's get you on a flight Saturday morning. You'll get there for the game. So delay, delay, delay. She finally lands and gets there at halftime of the game. And I was very fortunate because a friend of mine who is a year older than me 
Uh, her name is Lauren. Uh, her maiden name was Levine. Her dad, Ed Levine, owns the biggest cluster of radio stations in Syracuse. He's a big donor to the athletic department. He has the seats directly behind the broadcast table inside of the building formerly known as the Carrier Dome. Excuse me, uh, the JMA Wireless Dome. <laughs> Um, he was very gracious enough to host uh, my my wife, Erin, there behind uh, the table. And so Corey Alexander was my partner that day. And I had uh, queued it up with the folks in the truck that I had a whole montage of photos and a little script prepared for us through the years. And so I needed her to sit down at the table. And we, we kind of gave her a little bit of a bluff. And we said, hey, we just want to have you on and, and talk about what the weather was like and, and the trip here for, you know, for our post-game report. And she goes, no, nah, I don't. I'm sweaty. I don't want to do it. I'm not really camera ready. And Corey looks at her and he's the nicest guy. He goes, you are going to sit in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I proposed and that all went well. And then we had uh, we had plans to go out to a nice restaurant uh, in a town about 30 minutes west. But because it was so snowy and the roads are so windy, I didn't want to drive out that far. So we ended up just having uh, a burger and beers uh, in downtown Syracuse that night. And then the next day, January 7th, perfectly clear weather we get to the airport and they go well uh your flight is delayed and because you're going to miss your connection we can only get one of you home today oh. so uh, our first test as a couple to be married was a five-hour drive back from uh syracuse to cleveland we have made it and uh, we're still happily married to this day <laughs> all right my cousin's uh, good story and uh phil when mike gets off we'll have to play that audio for uh the the listeners of the podcast so they can hear it uh it was uh, definitely good if you uh Want to check that out. All right, Mike, uh, good luck with everything. We appreciate it. And by the way, one of the cool things about Mike, I thought, was that uh, if you follow him on Twitter, at Mike Cousins, he mentions, if you're a young broadcaster, happy to listen to your tape. You know, last week we had Andrew Catalan on, and I got a DM from Tony Caridi who said, I listened, and, you know, I sat with Tony when I was at West Virginia, and he would listen to my tape. A lot of red pen on those tape sessions, but he still sat down and listened to them. And I think that's really cool, Mike, that you have – offered that to young broadcasters as well. Versatile, you'll hear him on the radio all over the place. Mike Cousins, ESPN Radio, Syracuse grad here this week on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Mike, thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for having me. And as a final note, you know, with Andrew and Tony, you know, Bill Roth is another guy who's been immensely helpful to me in my career as a Syracuse grad. I really do mean that because I think when you when you when I was coming up especially it was not a day and age of widespread social media. It was much harder to find people and get a hold of people. And so I, I like the expression that, you know, a candle lighting another candle does nothing to diminish its own flame. So for me to take 20 to 30 minutes to listen to somebody's tape, I'm always happy to do that because we should all be helping each other get better. And so I, I really do encourage younger people to reach out. And, and thank you again, guys, for having me on. All right, Mike. Yeah, appreciate someone, it. As someone on a college campus myself, Mike, I'm, I'm just up the road from you at Brevard College up in Brevard, North Carolina, outside of Asheville. And I really appreciate that because I, I you know, I work with young broadcasters myself. They're looking, you know, how do I get my, my foot in the door and that kind of thing and, you know, looking for feedback. So, you know, the, the way you're paying it forward like that um, goes a long way. Really appreciate that. And, and hey, congrats on the, the new role with ESPN Radio as well. We really enjoyed uh, checking you out on the call on, on so many of these games. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be where I am. All right, Mike. Mike Cousins, everybody. We appreciate him being a part of the announcer's schedule podcast. So there you go. A great journey, a great story, 
And uh, that marriage proposal, they caught it on video. As we said, it was a part of the broadcast. He kind of set it all up there. And uh, his wife uh, basically, you know, she had a little bit of shock there, Phil. She wasn't really prepared for it. She was just kind of sitting on camera. They went through the whole journey of how they met. And, you know, they had the video produced and everything. And then right there on the video, uh, he got down on one knee and 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 proposed. And his wife, uh, what's she going to say? No on live television? This is Aaron, and we're at the Carrier Dome here in Syracuse, which is home to a lot of snow, Syracuse basketball, and for some time, me. It was actually a really important chapter of my life that I spent here in Syracuse and was involved with the basketball team, although that whole thing didn't exactly work out. So I got my first job and moved to Dayton, Ohio in 2011, where I met Aaron. And we pursued each other then, but eventually I moved away. Yes, this is happening, Aaron. And so I'd always been told about my perfect face for radio, so I decided that somebody was going to pay me to do it. That's great. So I'd convince her to travel to see me, and then in 2014, we moved to the Chicago suburbs. Surprisingly, I was the one who took up the most closet space. Life is full of fun surprises. We spent two years in downtown Chicago, me becoming more familiar with every restaurant in O'Hare, and Aaron navigating the greeting card store grid of the city and beyond. So our latest stop finds us in Cleveland. So many addresses, so many zip codes on our journey. I've learned that home is wherever I'm with Aaron. And so today it comes full circle in Syracuse here inside the Carrier Dome, a place where I began an important chapter of my life. And so I'm hoping that here is where we can begin an important chapter of our life together. So with that, Aaron Marie Beadle, will you marry me? Oh, my God, yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh, and it fits. (laughs) Love you. I love you too. (laughs) And with that, the next chapter has begun. (laughs) And as you heard here, Phil, they had to get a burger because of the snow and then take a five hour drive together as an engaged couple. So that was how that all went down. We thank Mike for joining us here on the Announcer Schedule podcast. Yeah, Mike was great. Really appreciate him coming on. And and really, um, I, I mean it, like, you know, what he's doing for the younger broadcasters, making himself available like that, that that's really special. Uh, we want to get out with a couple of uh, historic calls here. Uh, Albert Pujols, what an unbelievable achievement that he was able to get to in the same night. He hit 699 and 700. So, John Rooney on the Cardinals call here on the announcer schedule podcast. One pitch, a swing, and there it goes! Left field, way back! That's home run number 700! Pujols hits a three-run homer, and he hit 699 and 700 at Dodger Stadium on September 23rd, 2022. 8.23 p.m. Pacific time. Every Cardinal is out of the dugout congratulating Albert Pujols. The Dodgers are on the top step clapping for their former teammate and friend who they honored before the game today. Everybody in the ballpark is standing. What a great moment, a Hollywood moment here in L.A. And Albert has been writing Hollywood moments 
all summer long, and you can add this one to the list. 700 home runs for the great Albert Pujols. A team meeting in front of the Cardinal dugout. Hugs all over the place for Albert Pujols as he celebrates 700 career home runs. Barry Bonds, 762. Hank Aaron, 755. Babe Ruth, 714. Albert Pujols, 700. A tip of the batting helmet. Albert Pujols for the crowd here. Looks to the sky and then heads back down the dugout steps. Incredible what we've just seen here. And you think, John, about the pregame ceremony. And again, Albert pointing out how the Dodgers made him love the game again last year. And he thanked them. He thanked them for bringing him into their family. And he just had a family moment with him here at Dodger Stadium. Everybody buzzing here. All right, that was the Cardinals radio call, Phil. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job. The, the the date, the time, you'll always remember when, where, and all of that. That was Cardinals hometown radio. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because Apple TV uh, had that game on Friday night when all that went down, and um, Wayne Rendazzo had the, had the call on Apple TV. And so, meanwhile, there's no Cardinals television, uh, but co- cool move by – the Cardinals um, organization, the Cardinals radio side of things, they brought in Dan McLaughlin to the uh, radio booth as well. You know, and um, Dan said, uh, you know, he wanted this to be John Rooney's moment. And so he he laid out for for John to 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 make the call on that number 700. But between Aaron Judge, you know, going for for Maris and uh, the 700 calls, you know, these home run um, calls are gold and you know it's kind of luck of the draw what night in what network the game is on as far as who gets the privilege of these uh, historic calls well here in the northeast there's been a lot of talk about judge and you know the yankees play on apple plus last week amazon prime was michael k gonna get the call was was apple plus gonna offer him to do the broadcast that was a big topic of conversation in the Northeast, I guess he ultimately turned down the opportunity to do it. The game this week is going to be on Amazon Prime, but not a lot of talk about Pujols and 700. But yes, that historic home run was also on Apple TV Plus, and that was Wayne Randazzo. That was uh, Wayne Randazzo uh, on the national Apple TV Plus call that night. So uh, he will be the voice. There's been a lot of talk, Phil, about the the local guys. Would they dub one over, kind of like they do in boxing, where you hear uh, a, a tape-delayed call? Howard Cosell used to do that a lot. Joe Tessitore, by the way, does a lot of those uh, type of things. Yeah, it's going to be compelling who's going to actually get the, the – 
uh, big judge call when it finally happens. As of this taping, you know, he still hasn't hit number 61, but you know, a bunch of play-by-play announcers, you know, had had the opportunity, but he didn't hit it those nights, you know. Guys like Steven Nelson on Apple TV, Bob Costas, Carl Ravitch was on the ESPN Sunday night game with the Yankees, Brian Anderson on TBS, um, and then, you know, Michael Kay has been on, uh, you know, Yes Network for a bunch of these games. John Sterling, you know, doing the radio side of things. There's been ESPN radio opportunities, um, whether it's Boog Shambi or Dave Jagler. So, you know, interesting to see who's going to actually get these calls. Also an opportunity for whoever the um, opponent broadcaster might be. You know, and uh, uh, Mike Cousins mentioned uh, Kevin Brown, you know, so the Yankees are at the Orioles this weekend. So perhaps Brown will have the opportunity to make that call as well. So really interesting, you know, sort of how the, um, you know, circumstances unfold here and what announcer will get that call. Yeah, Sunday Night Baseball, by the way, that delay went a little long. I think they were hoping to get that game back on the field so they could get the call. All right, some news and notes around uh, and uh, our excellent adventures as we wrap up the announcer schedule podcast. Phil, uh, what do we have? Yeah, just want to give a big uh, birthday shout out to Hubie Brown. He turned 89 uh, this past week. Uh, Hubie is still going strong on ESPN's NBA coverage. He's a, such a great listen, in my opinion. And, you know, great to see that he's still going at age 89. And, you know, maybe next week we'll, we can dive into it a little bit. But NBA and NHL right around the corner. All right. Yep. Uh, where are you going to be this weekend? Any uh, big assignments for you? Um, actually, right here at home at, at Brevard College, um, we're going to um, actually play our football game on Friday night uh, because the storm is expected to, you know, uh, it, nothing like the impact on Florida, but Hurricane Ian is expecting to, to cause some um, havoc and at least a big rain event up here in the mountains. So a lot of people are shifting their games earlier in the week and we'll play on Friday night. Um, I'll be on the play-by-play for that one. If you want to check it out, uh, Brevard college tornado athletics, YouTube. Okay. Uh, I am uh, doing a lot. Uh, uh, you could catch me every weekday, two to six on 97.3 ESPN radio. We now have a video component to that show. You can watch it on YouTube, subscribe to the 97.3 ESPN YouTube channel or BFA live sports. Uh, I am also on Good morning, NFC East, Monday mornings at 7.20 a.m. To recap the NFC East games, I am on Birds 365 on Wednesdays at 8.20. Both those shows are on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, and I believe I may have a football game coming up. I'm not 100% sure, but follow me at Mike Gill Show on Twitter to get that information. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. Don't forget, Sports Media Watch, get out there share it, let everybody know that's in that broadcasting circle about it. And, of course, TJ and John on the Sports Media Watch. I've already listened to it this week. I was up early Wednesday morning. I got it sent to me because I subscribe. I had the little alert, and I listened to it already. Tell me a story I don't know, George Hoffman. Dan Hampton is the guest this week, so make sure you check that out. And we will be back next week right here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Okay, Phil, good to see you. I'm Mike Gill. We'll be back next week here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast. Have a great rest of your week and enjoy all the football. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.